Welcome to Turmeric and Tequila with your host, Kristen Olson. Questioning a better way, one gracefully disruptive conversation at a time. Hi guys, welcome to Turmeric and Tequila. I'm so excited to be with you today. We are in Denver, Colorado in Big Up Studios. I have a longtime friend, I even want to say mentor, uh, and just varsity human in the house. Sean, welcome to Turmeric and Tequila. Thanks. It's been a long time coming, and that kind of like tickled my heart when you said mentor. Ah, I appreciate yes. that. You know the rule. You got to keep people that are smarter, better, all the things around you, or people like that you want to be like. That's got to be Absolutely. your company. So I, yeah. try, I try to see you on the regular. I appreciate that. Yeah. 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 And, and likewise, I hope right? So. Yeah. <laughs> I bring the glitter and the tequila to Sean's life. As We're, we're going to dive into all things human optimization today. Yeah. Uh, Sean's bio is truly incredible. So I'm going to read all of his background. You might need to pause this video and rewind it just because he covers so many things. But this is why this human is so special, because if you go see him for longevity, for chiropractic adjustment, for anything, he brings a wealth of knowledge. So it's really important, I think, that we unpack this entire bio because this human's resume is truly unbelievable. And I might mess up some of these words, so just jump in. Okay, Sean Burkhardt, are you ready? Board certified in sports chiropractic physiotherapy and has his fellowship in functional neurology. Uh, triple certified NSCA coach, certified coach and certified strength and conditioning specialist, tactical strength and conditioning coach, certified special populations specialist, certified with the National Academy of Sports Medicine as a corrective exercise and performance enhancement specialist, certified functional medicine practitioner, specialty training in neuroinflammation, gastrointestinal disorders, autoimmunity, Hashimoto's, diabetes, and Disglycemia. Disglycemia. That's a good word. That's my cardio. (laughs) Uh, Perennial and maternal health care, cognitive decline and dementia, chronic fatigue and pain syndrome, childhood development disorders, and cardiovascular and neurovascular syndromes. Postgraduate neurology training includes clinical neuroscience, neurochemistry, in nutrition, childhood development disorders, and TBI concussion management, additional training through functional movement systems and functional neuro uh, pediatric rehabilitation, and he works for NGOs serving as a mentor and trainer for the special forces. Did I did I get it all? I think you got it all. Oh yeah. my goodness. Okay, so even if you don't know all those things, which I don't, I'm in this industry, you know that this human knows a lot. So the advantage, if you've ever been an athlete or in the health and wellness, uh, trying to achieve a goal or get healthy or whatever, you know when you go see one practitioner, they're pretty – uh, narrowly skilled in their field specifically and don't necessarily know all these other things so they can only treat or address one angle of whatever you're dealing with. So in 2023, it's great when we have people like Sean that have all this intel, all this knowledge, all this experience in different things so you don't go down the wrong rabbit hole um, to identifying or diagnosing something that is not not the actual cause. So enough of me talking. Sean, <laughs> how do you have time for all this? Like, let's start there. Like, how did we, how do we, how do we pack all this education into your world thus far? You're not even that old. 
No, uh, well, mid forties, forty four. So I'm I'm kind of there. I'm that's getting, a lot of school, though. <laughs> I'm getting there. Um, you know, you just got to make the time, and it helps when you're in the job that I am, where people depend on you, or at least they're trying to come find answers, whether that's from you or from someone else. Uh, so my motivation on it uh, was them. So if it's you know my other half is sleeping, it's four in the morning. I'm not going to go work out yet. I'll kind of dig into the books. So I just made it a, a priority. Um, and it's kind of yielded some progress and it'll continue to yield progress, I hope, because I want to just keep doing it. I, th- I feel like in our profession, in healthcare, in any facet of it, uh, we shouldn't strive to hit the minimum requirements that state licenses and everything else hits. Uh, we should just do as much as we can for patients. And as we see new patients, um, they'll come in with new disorders or complaints or questions. And that's what kind of bursts like, oh, I'm going to explore this option. And that's what developed that resume that you see before you. So, yeah. I love that. And I really hope you're an influencer and inspire and a mentor for other practitioners because this point in the game, we really do need our practitioners to be able to cover all these boxes. And for my consumers or future patients, what have you, we've got to be conscious consumers and humans that are aware of our own bodies, what's going on, and when to question some of these positions in authority. Because I think often when you see the title doctor, people just believe everything that that person's saying, and you don't need to do that. I think everybody's got to question who they're going to see, question any point of authority, including myself on this podcast. (laughs) Um, Well, you know, what they're saying and why, and then dig into the ethos and, and, and question it. I think... Too often, uh, people in your position can get very casual and very routine in seeing patients, and and not like you, they don't really navigate these other um, avenues to like further serve the patient. A lot of it's because our healthcare system, you don't get a lot of time, and there's just True. constrictions in general. Um, but before we go down that rabbit hole. Sean, because we can cover so much, I asked him today to talk uh, mostly around brain health and this whole body approach, this whole human approach, how it all connects. I've been an athlete for over, you know, I don't know, 30 years since I could probably walk and all kinds of injuries, all kinds of recovery. And, and it's later in the game when I really started questioning brain health. And that's becoming more and more of a conversation in our society, not just to be a better athlete, but to be uh, a thriving human and perform better in life, uh, let alone on the football field or with special forces. So these are really developing conversations. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to unpack that. So ideally today you're going to get an idea what to do to up your brain health and your awareness, um, things you can do right now, and you know, then have some opportunity and avenues to seek out deeper questions if need to around brain health. So, Sean, why don't you give us a little bit about young Sean? Like, was there signs of this pathway on what you're doing now as a young human? No signs. Um, Childhood-wise, you can tell me how far you want to go, but I was born and raised in Arizona. Um, Divorced parents. So they were were present, but they weren't present, Um, meaning physically there. uh, But I didn't get to learn a lot of emotional stuff. Um, which kind of guided me or to guide me, I should say, like on a journey, like what do I want to do in my youth and how is that going to change me as an adult? So it was an interesting uh, journey because I just kind of went with it as I got older Um, and then getting into sports myself and seeing like how fun that was for me and also the team efforts. um, That was really a drive to get into something that was like involved around physical conditioning. Uh, It wasn't really healthcare at that time. Uh, And then getting my own injuries from playing sports, you had to learn to navigate that. 
and looking back at it now, because obviously hindsight's twenty twenty, people did the best they had um, in the 90s, right? Yeah. There wasn't a whole lot out there to offer you. Um, and there was still, um, I call them like those self-proclaimed experts back then. Uh, and we trusted them. We trusted their guys with that. So I knew I wanted to be involved in it in some capacity. And uh, I was actually going to, and if I'm jumping too far ahead, um, before I got into all this was going into physical therapy. And that's where I met my mentor. Um, but he helped direct me into becoming more involved in health and wellness and introduced me to a lot of people, both that needed help and that could supply me with mentorship and help. So uh, the childhood, it was just interesting. It just kind of blossomed and bloomed. It blew me certain directions and I just kind of went with it as best I could, but I landed here and I'm, I'm thankful for it now. So I, I, well, did you ask a lot of questions? Like, were you a curious kid? Like, where you wanted to know maybe the whys or the hows? Yeah, I, th I would say in childhood first, because I didn't really have that mentorship, I was more of a quiet kid. Okay. But then as I came into myself, I'm very analytical, and it helps me to really understand the why behind something so I under so I can appreciate why I'm doing it. Mm -hmm. um, I don't like taking things at face value. Um yeah, it's just not within my nature. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. so I do want to unpack things and really get to the bottom of it. And yeah, I think that's just going to be helpful for everyone in any facet of whether it's healthcare or just life. Yeah. yeah, don't don't trust something just because you're told. Like, actually look into it because you're responsible for you. There you go. Yeah. And that and that seriously, whether you're buying like a pack of popcorn or going to see the doctor, I mean, like you got to really ask questions as. And aware human these days. For sure. And even like, you know, going to buy food, like we're given a, a picture that's like, oh, awesome. Look at Cheerios. Like there's this great graphic. It's going to attract me or kids to buy it. And then you flip it over and you look at the nutrition stuff and, <laughs> you know, it's there. But if you don't understand what that is, it's not going to help you in any in any capacity. So it's important to be very responsible for yourselves um, and actually learn why you're doing something, why you're ingesting something, why you're doing this treatment, why you're avoiding that treatment. Uh, otherwise, you're not going to get the help that you need. And, you know, God forbid you, you get worse from something. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, then that does happen a lot. Yeah. Uh, were you an intuitive kid? Like, did you kind of, were you pulled one direction or another? Or like, just like, ah, I don't know if this feels right. Like, did you lean into that intuition? Just because usually my analytical humans are a little bit, they'll shut that side down. But how, how was that? Yeah, no, I, I would say that's pretty accurate. Okay. Um, it's just helpful. You know, you get those gut feelings like you hear police officers like, oh, there's just a hunch. Yeah. Um, but I think those hunches are in, innately in you um, from just like normal brain development and how we've come across as humans for such a long time. It's kind of like animals knowing when there's trouble or smelling trouble. Yeah. Like when we feel something that's uh, not right, it's kind of our emotional brain, our amygdala, and it helps to listen to that. And then we have our logical brain, like the frontal lobe and everything else that says like, is that reasonable? So we have these two systems that can really work well together, but you want to listen to them both. You don't want to ignore something being like, eh, it's just a hunch. I don't feel comfortable. I'm going to ignore it. And then something happens, right? So were you good about listening to the intuitive side? Uh, I'm still learning from it. Yeah. <laughs> I think yeah. that's going to be a forever evolution, but yeah. yeah. I mean, it is. It's it's like, I love the intangibles, the unmeasurables, because just like a long time athlete, I was like the kid, heart, hustle, like all the things you couldn't really measure. Those were like my contributions. 
And then, you know, you'd have the kids that scored a million goals, but I'm mm-hmm. like, that kid's an asshole. Like, yeah. That's good. But like, what about all these other things, like the negative impact? So I'm always here for both. And I think this is why we're good at being friends yeah. because we do have different brains, but also like similar core values. Absolutely. Um, so you got to keep <laughs> the good ones in your back pocket that are different than you because it's so complimentary and you can um, approach life with, with many viewpoints. Absolutely. And you said a key word there, intangible. So I don't want to jump too far ahead. Um, but when I work with patients, like say concussion or traumatic brain injury, patients. It's one thing to be able to objectively test and measure what you can measure. It's another thing to delve into those intangibles, like what symptoms am I feeling? How is my pain or dysfunction uh, scored relative to me compared to you? So it's important to address those intangibles because one, it humanizes them. It feels uh, helps them feel like you're listening because you are, um, but it helps to kind of gauge like, hey, I can objectively improve you, but I also want you to subjectively feel better. So intangibles are key. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's that whole human approach. Like you really got to get in touch with the actual person and hear what they're saying. For and, sure. and we're not doctors, so we don't always have the language as patients to say what it is. So you guys have to almost do scrabble <laughs> with what we're saying and then put it together. Nut- See, you're, you're <laughs> dropping all these gems. You don't know what you don't know. Yeah. And it's it took me 44 years to learn that phrase, to be able to put that into those words. Um, and they're not my words, but it's helpful when people understand that because anytime something comes up, you're going to reference your little Rolodex of what you know in your brain. And you're going to try to fit it into there, even if it doesn't fit in there. Right. Um, and I think that goes back to that myopic, uh, that myopic approach of treatment. If I was only a chiropractor starting out just as a chiropractor and you came into my office, no matter what you had, unless it was a blatant red flag, I would try to give you a chiropractic solution to your problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and I quickly learned how limiting that is and honestly how wrong that is. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of the initiation of birth of that diversity of education. Uh, granted, I do like to learn, so it's fun, yeah. um, but I feel it's a, a responsibility. So, yeah. Well, good. I mean, gold stars all the way around. It'll serve you <laughs> dividends long term because I know it's a long journey. And Sean is the owner and founder of his own practice. He's got Boulder Fit Performance up here in Boulder. Um, it's a thriving situation. They've got incredible modalities to help you physically, mentally, from you know your bones and your joints to your brain and your performance. It's pretty incredible. And we can unpack a lot of that. But like I said, I really want to focus on the brain stuff because you've got these different machines and approach and methodology to helping brain injuries, just general, I mean, even mental health um, that I want to get into. So I'm going to let you pick like what you want to share there because there's so many angles to go. But why don't you give us an overview on the importance of brain health and how like maybe that conversation has been overlooked all these years and why you're so passionate about it? Absolutely. Well, when you think about it, the brain's the one organ we can't transplant right? We can get a new heart, new liver, everything like that. So you really do only get one. uh, So you need to take care of it. And most people, and I don't want to typecast and put everyone in this group, but in my conversations with my patient base and people, I would say most of them don't necessarily care about brain health until they start to lose some sort of capacity of it. They care about it knowing like, hey, I want it to be thrived, um, healthy and thriving as long as possible, but they're never really proactive in maintaining that until something starts to decline. Um, So to me, the way I've learned things over the years is the brain has these three categories. Its job is to perceive the world, interpret what's going on in there, and then help you respond to it. So perception is all your senses. Um, Interpretation is how well your brain's working to be able to understand what's going on. And as you reconcile that information, you can give an appropriate response, whether that's an answer to a question, um, a baseball 
batter in the batter box going to hit the pitch, whatever the case may be. So once you understand those three components of brain health, then you can start to leverage whatever modality I have in the clinic to improve or at least measure those things. Boom. And the, the the intangible, here's where my brain goes, mm -hmm. is when you feel off on those things and you don't fully understand what's going on, because again, the, the brain conversation, been a high-end competitive athlete for 20 plus years, just started brain conversation in my later years of competing. And I was like, damn, I mean, I'm sure I've had concussions and when I undiagnosed, mm -hmm. what have you. So there's the physical part, but then the mental health, like any athlete or competitor knows that when you're out and maybe you don't know why, cue depression, cue all these like mental things. So the mental health starts to go. So then you have both things coming at you. And a lot of that is misdiagnosed or not recognized at all. Um, so it's really, it, it, you got the physical brain health, but then that directly obviously correlates with the mental health. Which, oh, absolutely. So it's, do you get into any of those conversations around, do people say like, I don't know what's going on, but I'm all, like sy symptomatically feeling like depressed. Like, do you ever have to like correlate those two for some of your patients? Oh yeah, absolutely. Especially when it comes into the realm of concussion. Yeah. There's some articles and I can supply you with them. So people know they're not my opinion. It's just what's in the public library medicine PubMed that when people get concussions, they will have instantly like leaky guts and the same junctions in your gut or the same junctions in your blood brain barrier. So now you have this permeability aspect, but then there's also like this 99% guarantee of depression. And I don't want to like over misquote that, but it's usually when you get that, you're not feeling well, your cognitive function declines, you have brain fog, you're unable to participate in normal daily tasks and people get depressed. So their mental health can decline. And just from a sports perspective, like if you're an athlete and you're used to go, go, go and not wanting to let your team down and not wanting to kind of quiet your competitive nature and you're told you're not allowed to do that, there's so much depression with that. It might not be clinically diagnosed because uh, maybe the doctor's not looking for that, doesn't put a label to it, but it definitely goes hand in hand with those type of brain injuries or um, even just concussions. So. And that conversation right there, that awareness is so critical. And I, I like our parents of young athletes to know that because if your kiddo doesn't have the language or even say, you know, I got hurt, I got hit in the head at practice today, something. But if you notice some of these symptoms, a change in behavior, a change in energy or attitude, you can start questioning, saying, like, did you, did you have a concussion? Did you get hit in the head? Like, start to unpack that because I think parents don't often know, like, they'll notice a behavioral change, but that you wouldn't think, oh, maybe it was a head injury. And a lot of times it can be. So this is just, again, I like these little tidbits of conversation. So our parents at home or just, you know, anyone around someone where you notice a behavioral change, I won't say oftentimes, but it could be a head injury. And that usually is not even part of the conversation. Yeah. Well, and even referencing that same quote we said earlier, if you don't know what you don't know. When it comes to concussion, there was or is, excuse me, over 30 different definitions of concussion. So how troublesome is that to measure incidence and prevalence of concussion if no one can agree on a standard definition. So, and if you can't agree on a standard definition, how are parents or athletes going to know if they actually have a concussion? Most people think like, hey, I wasn't knocked out cold, uh, I didn't vomit, or I don't have a headache, I'm not concussed. And there's a myriad of symptoms, you know, there's 30 plus symptoms of concussion, right? So, um, I think educating people and telling them like, hey, here's the standard, but we first have to establish a standard. Uh, and that's what I'm going to definitely try to do in my personal practice and as a mentor or as an educator, just so we all have the same standard to measure against. So we're not comparing against 30 different definitions and letting stuff fall through the cracks and letting kids get hurt or adults get hurt.
Amen. And I, I think that's where your intuition comes in. If even though you don't know what you don't know, but something just doesn't feel right, mm-hmm. or you just feel off, that's when I think you got to lean into that intuition and then seek out guidance from a professional or start asking questions. Or if you're the parent, uh, I coached for 10 years at Grandview, varsity head coach, and we were very good at concussions because we lost a kid uh, that had a concussion that went uh, undiagnosed and it passed away on the field. It was a horrible story. And because of that, as coaches, those 10 years that I coached, we, we had to take classes. We had to be hyper aware of our kids, how they fell if anyone got a hit in the head and, and so much has happened since then this is 10 12 years ago um but the conversation was just in developing if something seems off at minimum i think you do got to just lean into intuition and then go get some sort of like diagnosis or something where you can start heading in the right direction but be overly precautious would be my suggestion when it comes to any sort of head or attitude change in general yeah. uh, when they're an athlete well, and to reference what you mentioned about our clinic up in Boulder, one thing we're implementing is concussion, or we're going to call it brain health baseline testing. So there's all these different lobes and areas of your brain and networks of your brain. So having a overview knowledge of that, we can actually subjectively have you analyze yourself and then objectively measure those functions and just see how well you're operating at your baseline level. And if you're an athlete and you do take a hit and you're suspected of having some form of concussion, we can easily compare against that data. Um, And then being an athlete yourself, and I've probably done this in the past unbeknownst to me, it's just you're going to just want to keep playing. So you're going to deny (laughs) that you have any issue. um, And that's where those tests can be uh, very, very productive is because some of them you can't fake. And if you try to fake it, (laughs) it's kind of obvious that you're not trying your best. Uh, Having people like go really slow on hand-eye coordination, I'd be like, all right, either you're concussed or we need to work on your skill uh, to be a better athlete. So, Or a better actor. Or a better actor. I mean, whatever way works. (laughs) And this is what's been so magical about my journey. I always think like we show up as intentional humans. We've got this plan and whatever. And and I know you can attest to this. Like it's going to take us on the path that we need to be no matter what. For sure. I got passionate about health and wellness because I was a long-time athlete. And then I was, you know, beat to shit from CrossFit and lacrosse and all this and it was because I overtrained we were competitors into the games all intentional things and I was like okay we've got as we get older I've got to navigate the best of the best to stay in it I need you know that's when ice bath came in and um stem machines and fascial stretching and chiropractic stuff and brain health. And my path was like, I want to be a better athlete, but really it was like preparing me ideally for these conversations of like human optimization of, you know, living healthy, happier life, whatever that means to you as a human, not necessarily as an athlete. So my mind and path was like this, the carrot was hanging in front of me as an athlete being like, be a better athlete. But really all this stuff was human optimization. So I have, you know, optimal longevity as an older person or as I continue to get older And it was more of a conversation of thriving versus just surviving. And this is where I love your clinic so much. I went in there, I don't even know, like a few months ago working on stuff. And you can measure with some of his machines, which we're going to talk about next, uh, where you are as far as coordination and brain health and everything versus like a division one lacrosse player that I did, you know, over 20 years ago. And I was like, when we did some of these measurables, I was like, oh my God, I'm so far off. (laughs) So I want to continue to thrive as an athlete, but really want to continue to thrive as a person. Tell us about more about the clinic and some of the things you have, these different machines. I think very few people in Colorado have them, let alone around the world, where your high-end athletes, special special forces, people can come in. But really, I want to say like your average show, someone just looking to thrive versus survive can utilize some of these modalities that you have. Absolutely. And 
before I even jump into the machines, I'd say the the biggest thing that I always want to fall back on is understanding how to actually objectively test and measure a patient without those machines, just with my eyes, my hands, and my understanding of the human condition. Having those machines, though, actually puts that objective test into visual so a patient can actually see and not just trust me at face value. Um, So that being said, some of the machines that we do utilize, the one you uh, in particular were referencing was that sensory station. Um, It's pretty cool because it's going to measure a lot of different domains based upon a standard evaluation. So like visual clarity, hand-eye coordination, tracking multiple objects, um, perception span, some of those things. And we can compare your results against the database and see how you perform against a, a female your age, your own age. Uh, and then where you jumped into the lacrosse part of it is there's all these different organizations that utilize this technology. So this originally started as the, uh, if you remember, the Nike Spark Station. Mm-hmm. So they would use it just for athletic performance. Another company had purchased it and brought on another team so they can still utilize and improve its athletic performance potential, but also start to harness it for neurological uh, evaluations and treatment. So whether that's Parkinson's, autism, post-stroke rehabilitation. Point being is since the Spark Station was developed and all these pro-collegiate organizations, military use it, they got the the benefit of building up this huge database. So when we compared your results against a lacrosse player in your position in D1, you saw your map, so to speak, uh, kind of like a little spider graph, further out is good, closer in is a little bit bad and needs some work. You just saw your results kind of shrink and change in a little bit. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's interesting too, because that tells me a couple things. One, how well are you doing now based upon just you, not as an athlete? And two, how much more were you thriving not as an athlete back then, but brain development. You got to think, if you don't use it, you lose it. Mm-hmm. If, if you only did bicep curls on your right arm uh, and not your left arm, you're going to look like that movie from M. Night Shyamalan with one big buff arm and one small one. So even though you're doing athletics, you're actually all that movement. So going back to the whole perceive, interpret, and respond, all that perception of running, proprioception, catching stuff, cradling the ball, all that has to send signals to your brain, which keeps your brain active and producing, you know, health longer and longer and longer. So that's, it's just a fun machine to utilize because you can see how you're going to compare against, you know, and an, another athlete, if you're trying to be a, a collegiate athlete or you're trying to go pro, but you also get a snapshot into your brain health in general, if someone can interpret those results, if they have the knowledge. Yeah. I love it. Well, and I and I really want to drive this home. That's so great because, again, this is after I was really trying to compete or get to the next level. It was just a check-in. I'm saying, like, where am I at? So I really want to encourage people. You don't have to be going to be, you know, trying to be in the Green Beret or be a Green Beret or Special Forces or go to the CrossFit Games or be a D1 athlete. This can be for someone that just wants longevity, wants, you know – uh, intel around their brain health, what you're doing so you can, you know, walk up the stairs at 50 holding your kid's hand or carry groceries out of the car or have, um, you know, minim- minimal cognitive decline as you get older, you know, warding off dementia and some of these things. Like this is for your average human to lean in and recognize where you're at and then make improvements now. Because as we get older, we get so locked in our routine. We're doing the same things over and over and we're probably playing less. We're not throwing the ball in the backyard as much. Like we're not doing all these things. So with our physical decline, our brain declines. Absolutely. And and you hit a great point. It's not just for athletics, right? So like if I were going to say 
depth perception. We can measure that depth perception with this machine and other things in the clinic. So if you're a baseball player, you need to know when to swing. If you're a lacrosse player, when to catch. Um, but if you're just driving and you see traffic in Denver, when to stop, right? Yeah. Hand-eye coordination, great for sports, awesome for other things. So there's such a crossover. And I think where people need that clarity from myself and other people is all these neurological functions are the foundation that skill is placed upon. So you just need them to be a human, to be able to step off a curb, to be able to understand when to change lanes to whatever the case may be, but those will translate into skill. And so how I've tried to condense this and make it concise for patients is you need to be healthy enough to participate, whether that's in just movement. Uh, you need to move well enough to train, and you have to have sufficient chaining to layer those skills on, whether that's lacrosse or whatnot. So when it comes to those neurological trainings, it's not even fitness. It's still in that functional phase, and for some, it's in that health phase because you might be able to detect something that they don't even know they have. So if we follow those guidelines of health, function, fitness, then skill, we can kind of see where your limitations are at because then your ceiling's going to be a lot lower. So then we build that foundation up, you raise your ceiling up, whether that's just for brain health and longevity or whether that's for athletic performance. There you go. I do want to lean into uh, the special forces military, two brothers in the military, lots of friends. And we've seen not only them training to get into these high level situations, uh, some of our men and women of service coming out with, you know, traumatic brain injuries, PTSD, that kinds of thing. Talk a little bit about your experience with the military. And I know you were close to getting involved yourself, if you want to share any of that. Mm -hmm. uh, and then some of the cases that you've worked with to help navigate to get people back acclimated, or, or let's say acclimated back to society or helping them prepare to take those tests or step into that arena to then qualify for some of these positions. Yeah. And you can kind of guide me how you want this directed, but I come from a military family. Uh, both my parents were in the Army National Guard. My grandfather was a, uh, I think like a master sergeant in the Army, got a silver star. My uncle was in Vietnam. So uh, I came from that background. And so there's always been this intrigue just to be surrounded by my family and just see how they are, how yeah. present they are, what are they good at, what are they bad at. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't get to have a lot of adult conversations with my grandfather and uncle because they passed. Um, I think my uncle actually passed from napalm exposure that kind of affected his heart as he got older. But so nonetheless, uh, I know that there's a need there uh, and there's a passion because I'm involved in it. So I just kind of married those two together and, you know, wanted to do anything I could to help out. Uh, and it's funny you mention just the military in general. I don't know if I can say a movie name on here or a documentary oh, yeah. name. Okay. Yeah. So I was just We're not that big yet. <laughs> so hopefully if I'm, you, if I'm getting sued, we're doing something. You're right. going to get there. Well, if anything, <laughs> it's going to give him promotion. Yeah. Um, it was called Ranger. It's a documentary of this particular soldier as he kind of navigated the military into special forces and where he's at now. Um, and the very blanket short statement goes, he grew up. It looks so cool. John Wayne movies, Green Beret, Special Forces, you know, do cool shit with cool people, essentially. Forget Propaganda the is our first marketing. Yeah. Just let me put that out there. Yeah. Carry on. I'll interrupt So watch the movie. Uh, it was enlightening, to say the least. I don't want to say entertaining because it's actually real stuff going on. Mm -hmm. uh, and at the end of, uh, end of the movie, in his exit interview, he said he wouldn't trade a second of his time because it gave him these relationships and developed him to who he is. However, he said if he had a crystal ball 
and knew how he was going to be feeling now from a mental health perspective and also just physical perspective, he probably would have never done it. So you can just hear that he is super thankful and he doesn't regret it, but that crystal ball. So, and, and that's just his perspective. So in my experience with some of my patients and the friends uh, that are working in the military, some of them got out, they're great. Some of them are not great. Some of them did whole careers. Some of them broke down really short. So they need help from kind of two perspectives. One, upregulating and improving their ability to perform. But two, having that brain knowledge, mental health knowledge. So when they are transitioning out, they are still secure and safe. Uh, And that's the other thing he referenced in there. He's like, the military is really great at training you to do your job. And your job is not always a fun one, right? It's trained to fight in war. So they supply you with endless resources to be able to do that. And they don't give you any resources to unpack and to deal and to process that when you get out. So that's where I wanted to come into play. I was like, we can do both. We can, if you're getting into there, happy to be a trainer, a coach, a mentor within our group. Uh, Everyone's got experience in there um, and help you perform so you stay safe while you're there. Uh, But also when you're transitioning out, it's kind of like those baseline brain tests, right? Mm -hmm. How were you then? How are you now? Where can we focus our time and attention to make sure your mental health is still going to be there and actually improve it if we can? I love that because it's first and foremost, always honor our men and women of service and the sacrifice that goes in. I know it's affected both of our lives personally, and I haven't walked in those shoes. So you can only get so close to understanding and empathizing. And uh, so I always like to be clear with that because certainly, you know, as a patriot here for all the sacrifice that's gone on, What I do love is when you can cover both angles, you can have our men and women that are charged up to go serve and God bless them here for that. You got to follow your heart. I'm never telling anyone what to do or what not to do because you need all sides of the journey. And I think as an aware patient going into the doctor's office or anything else, know what you're getting into, whatever the situation is, and do your research. So if you're going into something, you know how it's going to be when you're getting out of something or resources you have at hand knowing this is what happened to fellow constituents that went into this situation. Now I'm prepared for when I get out. This is how I can do it. It's not about not doing it or doing it. It's about asking the questions all the way around it. So when you exit a situation or you're ready to move on to the next thing, you are prepared to have these resources at hand. And I would say this, just like getting out of the NFL, you see CT and all these brain injuries. Don't, I'm not saying don't go be a professional football player, but know what the actual circumstances are and know what you're actually getting into outside of the propaganda, outside of the hype and the hustle and the, you know, very famous rich players, Instagrams, know the whole angle of it. How many of these guys that are prepping in that you're getting ready to go in to train for something or these hand-eye coordinations for special forces, do you give them any sort of coaching on the mentality of like, this is what it's actually going to be like? Or do you kind of do what they're asking and let them go on their own journey? Does that make sense? No, we, we're, we're actually trying to do both. Okay. So uh, a partner of mine, uh, his name's Glenn, he's a, uh, he served as a Green Beret as well. And he was also in the Secret Service, so I won't say his last name just because he's still active with that. Um, but definitely through personal experience, just say like, hey, here's what to expect. Um, here's how I felt after. Um, give you some tools to recognize what you're feeling. That's what therapists are good for. They they actually supply you with those tools to be able to kind of put a name to your emotion if you don't have that language. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's the most important thing. So it's not right to go into the military. It's not wrong to not go into the military or whatever the case may be. It's just making sure whoever is fit for that job has the most resources to help them both during and after. Um, And so 
going back to your question, yeah, that's the goal is to prep them mentally and not just physically because they go hand in hand, right? The the brain's going to give up way before the body's going to give up. So if we can help harness that to get them to get selected in whatever they're trying to do, whether that's military or life, awesome. But at the same time, we want to keep that mental resilience strong so that they can know how to turn it off when they're out and know how to turn it on when they got to go back in. That flipping the switch is really the most powerful thing for them because they're in control of their most important tool, which is their body and their brain. There you go. And this is really important, kind of like the parents with the kids with the concussions for family of military, spouses of military. Mm-hmm. If you're in a, you know, someone comes home and they're not acting, you know, how they once were or there's changes – I would really start to lean to these brain health conversations mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, it takes a village. So we need all our humans around us Absolutely. saying like, KO, you're acting crazy today. And we <laughs> probably get a lot of that. I do. I, I mean, I have to poke the bear and you're like, the brain's going to last uh, are going to give out before the body. I feel like my brain is like, girl, you're good. Go to the games again. Do masters. <laughs> my body's like, bitch, no. It's like, that's it. You're done. Um, but I'm just poking the bear there. because But, you're I, but right. I think that's the, the mentality of the people that do go into these high-level performing yeah. activities, such as special forces. Um, it's just teaching them how to regulate and control it so they, they don't injure themselves by overdoing it, so to speak. Some people need the help and say, you got more in the tank than you realize. Other people need to help to dial it back. It's kind of like hiking with your dogs. My little Jack Russell Terrier, that dude will run until his feet bleed. Just because he can doesn't mean he should, right? Yeah. So same thing from that body health perspective. You can push yourself well beyond your capacity. It's just training for the known, educating for the unknown, and recognizing when you don't have to keep pushing to capacity. There you go. Yeah. And again, my, my brain would be like, oh, we'll just get better practitioners. So <laughs> it, science is going to catch up. There'll be new knees by then. Well, yeah, so don't listen to me fully. Listen to Sean. Um, that's amazing. Do you want to break down a little bit of like basic brain science, maybe the lobes or like anything you think to, that's important? Because I don't think people know a lot about the brain and why it is so important, like how it controls your personality. Your, I mean, it's everything. Like, maybe like break down some of the science or, or maybe why you think it's so overlooked. Yeah. Well, let's see where we can go with this. So when you're born, everyone has to hit certain milestones, right? So there's this developmental trajectory of how your brain develops, right? Um, so you get all these primitive reflexes, which when you kind of brush on a, a infant's face, they will turn towards it because they think it's time to feed. There's a grasp reflex where you put something in their hand and they have the strength of Superman at that age because their cortical development is like flexion. And until their other areas of the brain develop, they can't really get extensor tone. So I don't want to go into too much detail, but point is the brain develops in a certain direction and you need it to hit these milestones. And as it develops all the way to the top and your cortex starts to develop, then that starts to regulate the other direction. So um, you talked about different lobes. So the frontal lobe, uh, it's most commonly referenced in concussion because that's your initiation, your planning, your personality. Uh, If you remember in school learning about Phineas Gage, do you remember that name? So I I can't remember the time frame, but essentially he had a Uh, like a projectile, like a piece of rebar or something went up and pierced his frontal lobe. And then ever since then, 
his personality completely changed. Uh, another reference is lobotomies that used to happen, right? They would lobotomize people so that they would be calmer. They're getting into that frontal lobe. So uh, there's this guy named, I think the last name was Broadman, so they called it Broadman areas. So you look at these lobes, like the frontal lobe, planning, initiation, uh, parietal lobe is your sensation, um, occipital lobe is your vision, temporal lobe is your hearing and your memory. And then within those, they call them Broadman's areas. And you start to subdivide even further and further and further. So you have a speech area, um, different things like that. And then from a hemisphere perspective, you have one on the left, one on the right. Uh, left side's very analytical. You've probably heard of this. Uh, right side's very creative. So when you get into like specific types of spectrum disorders, you can see they used to call it Asperger's where someone didn't really have social skills because that's on the right, but they're very smart when it came to certain topics because their left side was great. And then there's the inverse of that. Um, and then if it's not complex enough, all these little areas are connected by networks. And these networks form together to make certain actions happen. So it's like if I were to say, hey, I want to move my right hand, my frontal lobe made that decision. If I go back a little bit, there's a planning area to say like, how am I going to reach and grab that cup off the table? Um, then there's the motor area that does it. And then when I touch it, I get feedback. So all these things are in a network and the healthier you can keep all these individual areas, they keep all these networks healthy. And by keeping all these networks healthy, you're keeping your brain healthy. So even though it sounds complex, mm -hmm. the reality is the brain needs stimulation, it needs fuel to do its job, and it needs oxygen to stay alive. And when you just break it down like that, then you can analyze how each of these areas, networks, or hubs work, see where those weak areas are, you can uptrain it and you know improve those weaknesses, and the areas you have strengths, just maintain them for as long as you can. So your brain just stays functional as long as it's possible. I love that. And yeah. I love the tuberculin tequila, the juxtaposition of like how complex it really is. But truthfully, some of the things we can do are very, very easy. Mm -hmm. And we're going to get into, you know, five or so things you can do right now to level up your brain and your brain health. But before we do that, do you want to talk at all? This is a whole podcast in itself. Um, I've done some neurofeedback and I was fortunate to do like 52 plus sessions. And it was about sports performance and sleep, I think, when I did it. But this neurofeedback and some of these Things you can do with your brain can navigate around medicines and pharmaceuticals. Do you want to touch on that and how powerful some of this stuff, decisions we can make that can navigate around some of these traditional diagnose things or then you're on medication in that whole situation? Yeah. When it comes to medications, there's always going to be a time and a place. So I won't overly knock pharmaceuticals. At the same time, I will knock pharmaceuticals. Sure. Um, but the key is with medications, when there's certain areas in your brain that are not functioning as well, so they need something to kind of pick them up, um, and they give you that medication, it doesn't know how to just target a specific area. There are certain receptors on all sorts of cells everywhere. So if there's a brain imbalance, let's say your right hemisphere is bad and your left hemisphere is good, and they're like, okay, symptom-wise the downside's the problem. Let's give you a stimulant, right? And they stimulate you. That brings you up. But that also brings the side that's already up, up. So you still have this imbalance. And maybe you've heard this from like depression to mania, right? And then the same thing is if they're like, oh, someone's a very manic, let's give them some form of depressant or SSRI or whatever the case may be. They're going to bring that high side down, but they're going to keep that imbalance down. So point being is 
medications can only do so much, just as much as the types of therapy and functional neurology I do can only do so much as well. And you just have to know how to marry those together, how to leverage one to help the other, and how to take one away when it's been helping you compensate too long. There you yeah. go. So you got to start asking these good questions early on. Uh, why don't you hit us with the five things you can do right now just to level up your brain health now that we know how important it is? And we could probably have done five podcasts just off different segues around this conversation. But just to keep it on an uh, entry level and to keep my listeners empowered because it can be complex on things we can do like right now without a super complex initiative. Yeah. I think when people hear these, they're going to be like, wow, those are actually really basic. But when you unpack what actually happens during these, and if you were to read articles on them, you'd be like, man, I have all these great things at my disposal. Um, so first is just exercise, right? Um, again, having that perception, using proprioception and all your senses, all that's information that has to get interpreted into your brain. So you're stimulating it constantly through exercise. But exercise also causes chemical changes, brain-derived neurotrophic factor, um, neurogenesis in the hippocampus, which you used to hear like when a brain or when a nerve cell dies, it dies. Now they're starting to see that there are certain areas within the hippocampus that might be able to have neurogenesis, which is involved in memory. So exercise is key. Uh, mental stimulation. So going back to different lobes, hemispheres, and areas, when you understand what those areas do, you can stimulate them. So if I was pointing to the left side of the back of my head, that's kind of the area that math is involved in and language is involved in. So by doing certain games, like some of the stuff we have at the clinic, that station, uh, you can actually stimulate those areas um, to try to help upregulate them. Um, sleep. Sleep is huge. Uh, Huberman, so many people, Matthew Walker talking about it. But while you sleep and you go through the stages of sleep, that's when you can take all your different memories throughout the day, whether that's working memory, short-term memory, procedural memory. You're going to consolidate that, and that's when learning actually occurs. So you don't just want to sleep. You want to get proper rest. So there's strategies around that. Again, we can do a whole other podcast uh, in and of itself. Um, nutrition is key. So one of the words you struggled with on the front end, dysglycemia, <laughs> dysglycemia. Uh, it's basically just blood sugar regulation. So your brain needs fuel um, and it gets that fuel in the form of glucose and ketones. Uh, I mean that while we're sleeping, all our body systems are shut down. Our brain needs a lot of fuel for that um, because that's what makes things happen. Um, and then lastly, I would just say stress regulation. Um, when your cortisol is up through the roof, which also deals with sleep, that's kind of that stress hormone that we talk about. And certain chemical changes can occur that are detrimental to health, um, learning, et cetera, like that. So stress regulation, whether that's through meditation, breathing, probably honestly, all of those things uh, are going to be tremendously helpful. Um, using the special forces analogy, like when you're engaged in tremendous physical stress, your body changes chemically. When you're in constant emotional stress, whether that's financial or everything, your body changes constantly in those chemicals. So it's, it's kind of hard. It doesn't tell the difference between either. So when you learn how to regulate one and control that mental aspect or harness the physical aspect, chemically you're going to change and that's just going to be helpful for you on the inside and it's going to impact your brain health in a positive way. So exercise, uh, sleep, nutrition, 
what else we say, stress management, and then proper stimulation. And that's where I really want to educate people on knowing how to do a self-evaluation of your current brain status, and then how to supply yourself with stimulation, um, with proper nutrition, whatever that may be to help upregulate and just keep it as healthy as possible for as long as possible. You don't want that slow decline. Yeah. You want that fall off the edge. Right. Yeah. Which go. is probably a little dark. So. Right. No, I, we're, here, we're here for the truth. I think that's huge. And I love that this is a conversation for everyone, high-end athlete, high-end military human, uh, parents, you know, your more casual weekend warrior, someone out there just trying long to live and, you know, thrive versus just survive. Go see Dr. Sean. And, and seriously, if you're somebody that has something going on, but you just can't figure it out or you've hit a wall Maybe it's gut issues, maybe it's neuro, whatever. This is the kind of human you want to go see so he can help navigate to some real answers and some real solutions. So we don't have a lot of people that can cover all the bases like Sean. So go see him if you're wondering. And let's just in general up the awareness around our health and feel so empowered with some of these solutions that are really easy that we can start to do now. It doesn't have to be a high intensity, crazy CrossFit workout, go for a walk, read a book, play catch, do some of these little things that can you know, just help you feel better for the longer term and be a productive, impactful human in this world. That was well said. We try. Yeah. Rewind that. Yeah, let, remind <laughs> this so I can listen to myself as I'm getting my, you know, 55th treatment for whatever workout I was doing. Um, my last question, and I ask this to everyone because we do it to wrap up, but what is success to you? Ooh, success, pretty easy. Um, that's when I can see that I've helped someone else. Yeah, um, that's just the greatest reward is to have someone say, hey, you helped me be able to do this, helped me be able to feel better, function better, um, go for that goal, um, change my, my own personal self on how to impact others. Anything I can do to empower someone else. Uh, it's like Simon Sinek said, so it's not my quote. I want to inspire people to do what inspires them. Um, and if that's in the health capacity that gets them going, that's what I want to do. So there you go. You heard it here first. Uh, we'll definitely have you have you back. We'll pick out. I think sleep is one. I've got all these ideas firing. But I appreciate your time and energy. Sean, keep doing what you're doing. You are making the world a better place. You're inspiring people. But you have a lot of work to do because a lot of people <laughs> need you. So I hope you find a way to scale some of this because this is a good, a good person doing good things. And our world needs more of this. And I think everyone is going to really start to tap in and understand the wealth of information, experience, and heart that you bring to the table and man, that's what we need, especially my fellow athletes, especially my military humans and my kiddos with concussions, all the things. Uh, we need all these conversations around longevity. Yeah. So, well, and I appreciate you because what you're doing is creating a platform for people to come on and share with other people. So you're a huge integral part. You're like that piece on the bridge that keeps it from falling down. So I totally appreciate what you do in giving me the opportunity to have a forum to help educate people so they now know what they don't know. There you go. Where do we find you? Hit us with quick socials, emails, websites, anything you want to share. Yeah. So the clinic name, full name is Boulder Fit Health and Performance out in Boulder, Colorado. Um, we also had NeuroStrong, which we're just going to kind of marry those two together because I think it just needs to be all in one place. Uh, but you can find us on Instagram as well, just under the same uh, same handle and so forth. Okay. Yeah. Go check them out. I appreciate you. We'll, we'll have to continue this conversation. But in the meantime, head up to Boulder and go see what Sean's got going on. Absolutely. Appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you for joining Turmeric and Tequila with your host, Kristen Olson. Tune in next time. And don't forget to subscribe on Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen.